Welcome to the Corporate Flight Attendant Podcast. Hi, this is Jennifer. You guys know me. I was a corporate flight attendant for six years, and I tell you the brutal, honest truth of this industry. And today we are doing a podcast takeover where Sarah Ray Hoagland, who is a podcasting phenom, and she is also just a great person and my friend, and you will hear about her and her services later in the episode because she's going to help you manifest the career of your dreams. She is interviewing me today about the corporate flight attendant book that I wrote. Take it away, Sarah Ray. Yes, thank you for having me take over your podcast. <laughs> I'm excited. And I I genuinely wish I would have found this information a while ago because I think this book was really well written, a super awesome guide and I can't wait to learn more about this career mostly because I'm selfish and I want to know more and I want to know how it's going to work for me. But I know there's if I have these questions, there are lots of people out there that have these questions too, who are way more likely to actually take advantage of this information than me. <laughs> so let's start by saying, hey, welcome to the Corporate Flight Attendant Podcast. My name is Sarah Ray. I'm your host for today. <laughs> I love it. So Jennifer, in this, in the book, you heed many warnings, right? Because that's your whole prerogative. You have the brutal, honest truth. There's no fluff here. You have a lot of things that FAs need to talk about or need to think about before seriously entering this career, potential pitfalls. And for an example, there's a whole chapter discussing ageism and sexism. But what I want to know, what I want to start this conversation knowing is what do you love most about being a corporate flight attendant? You know, it's so funny because you had given me a copy of the questions and I said, man, I do say all the bad shit, right? <laughs> In the book, I do have a lot of warnings. And, you know, I love this question because I do want to say positives as well. And there are a lot of positives. I think the obvious positive is travel and that you get to fly on a private jet. Uh, you get paid to do it. You get a lot of really amazing paid vacations. I've been to places I have wouldn't even dreamed of going. I've been to Corsica, which is an island off of France, which is a medieval island, which was unbelievable. You know, I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to Australia. I've been all over the world. And I would have never dreamed of any of that. And I say this in the podcast, I think that, <laughs> or in the book, that when you fly into a lot of these countries, Sarah Ray, you don't have to go through passport control like the rest of, you know, the general public, they come on and they stamp your passport. So that's something I love too, is just, hey, you get a you get a car pulled up to the plane, the crew does too, and you jump out and you're, you know, well, obviously you got to do stuff too. It's luxurious, yeah, it's, for sure. it's easier. I would say that, you know, yeah. you're still part of the crew, you still got to clean up the plane, you still have to do that. So I really miss the travel part. And I also have to say, it is awesome when you are, <laughs> when you're stuck in January through March in freezing cold New York, and you get to travel to a warm, sunny place in winter. I have seasonal affective disorder, and when I used to fly all the time, I didn't have it because I was always in these warm, beautiful, sunny places. And the other thing I want to say is that it's a challenge. It's a challenge to be a corporate flight attendant. And someone had written to me and said, wow, you're really taking a big risk as a corporate flight attendant because it's just you back there on the private jet. It's not you and a crew and you have other flight attendants and all of that. It's just you. And I never thought of it that way. And I thought that was a really 
good point, but it's a risk that I really liked because I do like working alone. <laughs> and so I think I work better alone. So I do, I did like just that autonomy and the fact that the back of the plane was mine. And I liked that there was a challenge all the time. And, you know, whether that was a challenge through weather, or through delays, through the passengers, I do like challenges sometimes, not bad challenges, but good challenges. Right. No, yeah, that's an absolute human nature thing where we like to be challenged. We want that Goldilocks feeling where this isn't too hard. So I know I can succeed, but it's a challenge to get there. But it's not so easy that it's boring. So I love that you brought up that the challenge is something that you enjoy. That's awesome. And I can really also relate to working better alone because there is something about that, that autonomy that you have. Yeah, you know, that freedom of space. And you, that doesn't surprise me that you like working alone because you're a podcaster and <laughs> you're a writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So what are some of the other qualities that CFAs that are happy and successful with longstanding careers have? Mm, yeah. Okay. So this is a really, I'm going to break this down into two pieces because this is a really good question you're asking. And I'm, I'm going to stop myself now on this question saying this is a really good question <laughs> You're not supposed to do that all the time, but it is a good question. I would say if you are a full-timer and you want this to be your career, you are going to enter this industry, just for example, 25 years old, and then you desire to be in the industry until you're 60 or 65 or 50 or whatever, then you need to think about having that longevity of just loving customer service. If you don't love customer service, you're going to be in big trouble. And if you don't love upscale customer service, you're going to be in big trouble. And I'm a good example of the big trouble because I, you know, I, I was always a contractor, so I can only take so much. And I think that, you know, I had a friend who she does this, uh, she's a career FA and, and actually I'm thinking of two people in particular and they're actually three. Okay, three. And they're incredible, but they have a real passion for it. Like they love shopping for fancy china at Cartier. I would rather just, I don't know, just walk out into the street and be hit by a car than <laughs> spend my Saturday shopping <laughs> for dishes. You know what I mean? When I got married, I didn't even do a registry or anything. So that's not my cup of tea. But if you like doing that, And there was another FA I had worked with who just loved the service of it, like loved going out and testing the food and going to Italy and getting food for the passengers and testing it out and blah, blah, blah. And if you really are into that, the luxurious quality into really making sure that service is the best possible, the job is absolutely for you. And another thing is you have to not take things personally because these passengers are so... You know, one one minute they're nice to you, one minute they're not. Sometimes you're going to get people who are really rude an entire flight. So, <laughs> so you also have to learn that you can't take things personally. And it's not, we can't compare this to commercial flying either because in commercial flying, you do have people shooting uh, video cameras now, you know, people shooting cell phone videos and all of that. You don't have that in cabin, especially with an owner. So it's you and an owner and the passengers in cabin. There's really no recourse. 
So you have to make sure that you're okay to roll with all of it. Mm. That's a good point for sure. Obviously, any workplace is meant to be safe and respectful, even if you, that means you're up in the air with a bunch of millionaires. Just because someone's being rude to you doesn't mean it's necessarily okay. But yeah, that that interest that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Can I add Definitely to that? Important. I'm sorry because I yeah, said there were two. It's your podcast. <laughs> there were two. Oh wait, no, no, no it's not. It's, <laughs> it's yours today. But there were two. There were two pieces, and I forgot to say the second piece. And the second piece of that, if you are like me and you're a contractor you need to find something to fulfill your life besides being a corporate flight attendant. Oh, absolutely. Or you will drive yourself crazy. And this was a big mistake I made was I was not doing anything. And I think that's not not a mistake, but I think after a year, I should have really been, okay, let me go into podcasting. Let me go into writing. Let me, let me, I've heard of um, CFAs being substitute teachers because you can't, you cannot do full-time teaching. I've heard of uh, people working at Marriott's because you can change around your schedule a bit. I've heard of all these things. And I think that's a really good way if you're a contractor. And also it takes the stress off for stability. You know, the, this is a very, um, you know, feast or famine industry if you are, if you're a corporate flight attendant. So I would just say just to have a peace of mind as a contractor, go in with the idea of, okay, I'm going to have a little bit of an open schedule at first so I can take all these trips, I can build my reputation. And then once you do have that secondary job, at least even if even if you don't want the secondary job, at least something creative to fulfill, you know, fulfill whatever you want to fulfill. Yeah, this. Okay, so in your answer to that question, you touched on two other things that I want to talk about. But since this one is the most recent one, we'll continue down this path. And I this is the question I've been most eager to talk to you about. um, Because in the book, you discuss that sometimes, basically what you were just talking about, you don't have a choice in accepting trips, or maybe you're overrun with trips, or you have to wait a long time for trips. Even if you are a contractor, you have a good reputation, this is kind of relatively unpredictable, right? So could being a CFA be a true side hustle? Is that possible? How does that work? Sorry, that's if, if anyone were to know Sarah Ray, and I do have crossover from two inches off the ground, you'd be surprised. So if anyone knows Sarah Ray, she is the queen of the hustle. So I, I, <laughs> I, I <laughs> you know me, I was like, Oh, can I also be doing this? Like, that's generally why I wanted to ask to see if you know, let's just say someone is a mom to I don't know, a, a two year old little girl, Sequence. And she's also right, just a coincidence. She's also a podcaster, you know, just this mystery person. Could they also be a side hustle CFA person? I am going to say yes if you have the perfect circumstance. And that perfect circumstance would be where you're on one account, they know you well, they know your schedule, they know you don't fly a lot, they love you. They only want you pretty much, then I think you could do it. I, I think you could do it because you will know this account and you'll know, oh, they fly uh, five days a month and I can handle that. You know, they do they do one weekend, one three-day weekend, and then the guy takes a two-day trip somewhere else. And maybe during the rest of that time, you have a lead flight attendant doing that. So you're just the sub for five days. I think you could. That's That's a good point. But doing it where it's just a feast and famine situation and you're trying to build a reputation with all these companies, I think it would be very hard. I think it would be really, really tough. Not saying it can't be done, but I think it would be very tough. 
it sounds like something you'd probably have to work up to it being a, a true side hustle as opposed to could you rig the system to make this into a side hustle-esque situation? So I could see, and I don't want to comment too much on commercial flying, but I could see commercial flying is almost more of a side hustle because you can bid for days. They have a whole bidding sure. system, but I don't know much about the bidding system, so I shouldn't be just throwing that out there. But I could see that more, but you're not going to make anywhere near the money. So, okay. <laughs> right. well, I, I think that's the allure that a lot of people probably and travel the income potential in the travel. Yeah. Um, so that kind of does bring back a little bit to the second half of this question. How much of that freedom of choice do you have as a contractor for a, a private jet owner? Do you feel like, okay, let me rephrase. Do you feel like you are obligated to take trips when you're a contractor? I feel like in the beginning, and I always say this on the podcast, you are absolutely obligated because you're building that reputation. So if you get a call and they ask on your child's birthday, if they ask on Christmas, if they ask on New Year's, you're going to have to take it because you're building that reputation. You can always say no, but I don't know if they're going to call you again. As you become more established, that's when you can start saying no. I actually, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but I don't know if I regret this or I don't. I part of me kind of regrets it. Part of me doesn't. I had just moved into this house and I was really excited. And by the way, you guys, I'm not a holiday person at all, but I was just really excited. It was my first holiday at home in years with my husband. It was my house. I wanted to do in my house. And I was offered, I think it was a two week trip to Africa and I turned it down. Oh. <laughs> look at you. Look at me. <laughs> oh, but that's such a hard one, though. It's such a hard one because I was saying to myself, this Christmas will never happen again. It's the first Christmas in this house. It was a big deal to me. I never owned a home before. And it was just a big deal. And I'd never been married before. And I just wanted to do that. Now, I think it all worked out because I found out the contractor they used ended up working for this company a lot more and they liked her. So it worked out for her and I'm happy for her. Um, and I also found out that this Africa trip was a very fast paced schedule. So it wasn't sitting in one country. It was the guy kept going around. So there wouldn't have been much time on the ground. And I'm in the end, I'm kind of glad that I didn't go through with all the shots and immunizations and do that. But guess what? They really didn't call me much after that. So that's the risk you take. That That's the risk you take. And, I, and, and, you know, to be fair, I understand why they didn't call me after that. Because the other contractor was willing to take away her Christmas, her New Year's with her family and make the sacrifice. And everyone liked her. And God bless. And, and that's a good... Sarah Ray will know this. That's a good uh, piece, and Sarah can talk on this later, but a good piece of manifestation for her in the sense of, I'm going to step in, I see this opportunity, I'm going to make this compromise. And by the way, this contractor, the principal wasn't a fan. And so when she did this trip, they had no one else. And so she did the trip, and he became a fan of hers. It was 13 mm -hmm. days, and she won him over. She had flown all the execs except this one guy, except the head head honcho. So she won him over. And I think that's great. Looking back, I think it all worked out the way it should have, right? <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. That definitely seems like that was the perfect manifestation for both of you. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're a spiritual person. Yep. So you probably knew in your gut that it was not the right time. Not the right time. So yep. 
That's awesome. Okay, I have another one for you. We're still basically like dissecting the answer to your first question. <laughs> your first answer to the first question. Uh, but your book is generally brutally honest. And one thing that really took me by surprise, you touched on it twice already, that there are a lot of um, unexpected tasks that I was not expecting a, a corporate flight attendant to have to take. Um, I am very familiar with hospitality. I was an assistant general manager at a Hilton for many years. Um, so I love hospitality, but never once have I personally been the one to sample food or go out and do the shopping or anything like or that. Clean a dookie, or clean a dookie out of a toilet. Uh, well, no, I have done that. because that's <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I have done that. But it's more like the, the setup. Got it. it. The actual being the yeah, hostess yeah. with the mostest. And that I thought that was so interesting because I just never it never crossed my mind. I never realized it. So even though you went through all of this in the book. You know there are going to be people who are still going to be surprised by what they find in this career. So what are some unexpected twists of being a CFA, such as shopping for China (laughs) or sampling food in Italy or whatever? Like, what are some things that you didn't think would be part of the job until you got there? Well, it's funny because that is part of the job. And I was the master of avoiding certain parts of the job because (laughs) I was the contractor. So what I would do well, Sarah, is... I think why I was able to be successful in this business is because of my personality, because people tell me that and people through other people tell me because of my personality, I got along with the crew for the most part. I'm always telling horror stories. So it's like, I get along with the crew, but then here's this horror story. But for the most part, (laughs) I think I'm a funny person. I think I have a good sense of humor. And uh, I think I try to roll with the punches. I'm not perfect, but best as I can. So I think I... I do that. But in regard to your question, so I think I was able to get around some of this because of my personality. And, you know, maybe I wasn't the best at, like, I never give culinary advice. You know, I'm never, I've never had an episode. I probably will never have an episode. I'll probably bring someone on to say, okay, this is what you do from a culinary perspective. And this is how you do knife skills. And this is how you, I was good at presentation, but I wasn't you know, because it was creative, but I'm not, you know, again, shopping. So I think people would be surprised, absolutely, that you have to do a ton of shopping, which I do not like. I think people would be surprised that that one thing, that one MFing thing that the uh, principal wants, you can't find it and you have to go to five stores. And this happens to everyone because I've talked about it so much. And then you don't find it and then you finally find it somehow. And then the next time you're on a trip for maybe even just another client, then you find it (laughs) like right there. It's sitting right in front of you and drives me nuts. So that would drive me nuts. There's a lot of shopping at Whole Foods on certain accounts. There's, um, do you have a corporate credit card for these things or are you getting reimbursed? I chose to get reimbursed. That's a really good question. I chose to get reimbursed because then I got all the points. Ah, yes. So I have way to rig the system. You know, come on, girl. You, you know, you know. Oh hell yeah! Absolutely. You worked at Hilton, so I oh, yeah. I have all these Marriott points now, and all of this and lifetime la 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 status because I got all those points. So that's a that's a good tip is make sure you use your own credit card and then they reimburse you. I think people would also be surprised by the amount of physical labor you have to do. That's what surprised me. Now, we don't have to really do suitcases. Occasionally, we'll have to do suitcases, but that's more the pilots. The physical labor is those catering boxes are super 
heavy and people don't even realize how heavy they are. So I, I, I never had to work out because I was always carrying catering boxes. Um, and I'm a really small person. I'm five foot one. I weigh around a hundred pounds. So I'm super, super tiny. And you're running around all the time. And you're running around all the time. I mean, you know, I was in yeah. super good shape. So people don't realize that. And people don't realize that, you know, you have to prepare so well ahead of time because if you don't have something 40,000 feet in the air, it sucks. And if you have to be in front of the owner and say, sorry, dude, I have all your requests here on my phone, but I just didn't get it or I didn't make the effort or whatever, it sucks. And there's some weird requests. I remember one guy from a major, major company, if I said it, he had some weird diet soda they drank in the 80s. Yeah, that had... Did you find it? I think what happened was a company had ordered, you know, tons of it. And I think it was in... Because I called... Yeah, that's what happened. I called the company. I said, they don't make this fucking thing anymore. What is it? I said, I grew up in the 80s. Who drinks this shit? And and they said, yeah, he loves it. And he was the head, head guy. So they bought, you know, boxes and boxes. So you'd be surprised the lengths you have to go through sometimes to make passengers happy. And I think the last part of the question is, you better know how to put on a game face and you better know how to just be one with the white lie. Cause I have done so much white lying and I'm sure Sarah, if you worked for Hilton, uh, you have to, you have to, to avoid It's a certain level of like guest communication. Like you don't want to reveal too much, but you have to keep the conversation going. Yeah, exactly. And with, okay, I'll give you a good example. I had this, Oh my God, she's crazy. I don't know if I've talked about her yet on the podcast, but she was this crazy, um, owner's wife, And she had five kids, six kids that she should have, I don't know how to say this nicely, but she just shouldn't have had in the sense of she, it's like me having six kids. Like, no, like I I can't (laughs) handle it. Like know your limits, right? So anyway, she had two nannies who were very nice and she still, between the two nannies and her and her husband, she still couldn't manage the six kids. So she was kind of a mess and she was obsessed with organic for the kids, which I have no problem with. I think that's great. I'm all about it. But we were in a country like it was a very small South American country or something where they don't they don't give a shit about any of that. They're they're you're in the middle of they have bigger problems. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Amen. So, you know, you're they're worried about dictatorships and they're staying alive from <laughs> a day to day basis. Yeah, and cartels and you know, they don't yeah. care about organic. <laughs> so Yeah. So I tried to explain it to the caterer. It was in a different language and they understood, but they were like, yeah, we don't do that. And I just, what I did was I brought all the fruit on the plane. I transferred it to different containers and I ripped. I knew you were going to say that. I was like, I know where this is going. Because you would do the same thing. Sarah Ray would oh, hell yeah. And I have. And I'm sure you have. And I ripped off all the labels and everything. So I ripped off all the stuff or whatever throughout the packaging. And I took the garbage, I threw it all out in the garbage, and I took the garbage out and threw it out so she couldn't question it. So there's no evidence. 
Hell yeah. So then. this is I think this is towing the line of a white lie. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> like if you have to dispose of evidence, I don't think we're in the white lie range anymore, but it's fine. I'm just, I'm not the police here. It's totally not a white lie. I know we have, we have, wait, it's about to get bigger. So then. Okay. <laughs> so then I want to make the story sound good, right? Because I know this woman has been traveling to other, so I know, so I wanted to just make it sound good. And I knew she's going to ask about the fucking organic fruit. So I want, and by the way, you guys, I make fun of this, but I, I eat so clean and I eat so organic because of my autoimmune disease. So I have to. So whatever. But anyway, so she walks on the plane and what does she do? She asks about the fruit. And I said, listen, I said, I got you organic melons and blueberries, but they couldn't do the strawberries. I'm happy to serve the strawberries if you want, but they're not organic. And she's like, oh my God, thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. So I just made it sound good. Is that because you only had two boxes? No, it's because I just want to fuck with her head. Like, I just... Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, you probably did her a service, honestly. Yeah, so I just... I just kind of... I mean, were the blueberries and melons organic? Obviously not. But I, (laughs) you know, it was just... It was something I had to do. So just, you know be one with the the lying and the exaggerating because you're going to have to use it and just telling you it's going to get you out of certain situations. And I think that's just true of the hospitality industry industry in general, because customer service is, is one level, but then hospitality goes above and beyond. And then you're even as a CFA are at above that because you are at the luxury catering to the rich hosp- hospitality level. And that's a whole industry in itself. So you you really, it's, it's okay to do the white light thing because they care more about the experience and the service mm. and they have so much money that they're, they're not going to care. But, you know, if you're at customer service level and you're dealing with an average Joe person, they're going to care a lot more, right? So I, I, I feel like... Yeah, and, and, and that's a really valid point because what always blew my mind and still blows my mind to this day is when you're working with... By the way, I used to fly not only multimillionaires, but billionaires. And they would be the messiest people or whatever or eat the most incompetent or, right or eat donuts or whatever but then they they obsess on something like it has to be organic strawberries so i found that so weird so they just you also have to know that they pick things and then they focus on that thing sometimes and you just have to as long as you have that thing and you know what it is their special little obsession then you're good i had a guy who came on as a passenger oh my god this guy was obnoxious i he was okay to me, but he was just, okay, I, I'll tell you guys the experience. You'll get a kick out of this, sir, right? So this guy comes on, he's flying with this billionaire, and the billionaire was a really nice guy, and this was one of his friends. And so the friend comes on, and he has to announce to the whole plane, I didn't think I'd have a life like this. I have a house in Palm Beach, and I have a blah, 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 like going through his whole how rich he is. And keep in mind, standing next to him is a literal billionaire who I always find it funny when these people come on the planes and they try to impress the billionaire. You can't, it's impossible. They've seen it all. They have more money than God and they don't care. care. They're (laughs) polite. A lot of the times they're polite, but they're just, you can tell they're rolling their eyes in their head. So anyway, so the guy, keep in mind, he just told everyone how much money he had, right? Like he's so rich and he was obsessed with if the cold cuts that he brought were not all used, I had to pack them up for him. But keep in mind, you have more money than God, blah, blah, blah. So my, I knew that was his thing. He didn't care about anything else. So I flew with him so much that I got these special containers just for him. 
and we had a really good rapport. And I said, and I would always say when he bring me, I said, listen, I have your containers. I have the date written on them. I have everything and I'm going to give them back to you in a bag. And he was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. So it worked out just fine, but sometimes they have their little neuroses and you just have to go with it. Well, and you do too, right? No. They might not be the billionaires. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. I mean, we all have our things. Like I know I have um, specific ways that I like. Like I'll give you an example. I only eat my oatmeal in a very specific way. <laughs> and the only reason I'm thinking about this is because I had it. Okay. Morning. How do you do this? I have to, we all have to hear now. You can't just leave it like okay. that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it has to be instant oats because, and it has to be a quarter cup and just enough water to where they start floating and they, it cooks for exactly a minute and 30 seconds. And then I do um, like two tablespoons of yogurt, Greek plain yogurt and like, a, uh, I don't know, some cinnamon and then like a tablespoon of honey. And it has to be that. And if it's not that way, I will not eat it. <laughs> so I mean, but other than that, I truly don't care. So I think everyone has that sort of thing. Um, it's just nobody else caters to that like nobody's making my oatmeal nobody's making the coffee how I like it so it's when it comes to be a billionaire and you are essentially somebody's client they're taking care of you you want to make sure it's the way that you like it and I feel like that maybe might help them feel like they have the autonomy like obviously they're able to go and make their oatmeal how they want or do whatever package up their own cold cuts but the fact that they're like so gung-ho about this must make them feel like they have some sort of control or guarantee that the thing that they really care about is taken care of by somebody who is doing it the way that they would want to. When us average Joe people, because nobody else is doing yeah. that for us, yeah. it, we don't really, we think it's weird that they fixate, but we fixate on things too. Yeah. Just nobody else's, this is nobody else's responsibility. I also don't have millions of dollars to back yeah, it up. So. Me neither. But I like, <laughs> I like the oatmeal ritual. I'm going to think about you every time I eat oatmeal now. Yeah. I'm very specific. <laughs> Coffee is also very specific. Is it very specific? I think a lot of people are very specific about their coffee because when I was on the jets, they were very specific. They want it in this cup. They want this much sugar. They want that. And I get that because that's a, that's, we just did an episode. Sarah and I, Sarah Ray and I just recorded an episode for Two Inches Off the Ground, my other podcast on ritual, which is so funny. It keeps being brought up. And so Mm -hmm. I think we all have that ritual. And I understand, even though I can't drink coffee, if I could drink coffee, I would have a coffee IV running through me at all times, but I can't. But if I could, I get that ritual 100%. And it also might be an anxiety thing, kind of how we touched on in that episode, where maybe they're... It makes it feel safe for some. Yeah, you're so, right. Cater, ca- catering to your clients' needs from a CFA standpoint seems really, really important. And it's more than just making sure they're comfortable on the plane. There's so much more a part of it. I just simply was not expecting that. And I would never have known that if I hadn't read your book, honestly. So I think that's really cool. I didn't realize it was such a hospitality thing. And kind of going off of that, in that book, you went to a super awesome detail about day in the life of a CFA. And as I was reading the book, I was writing down questions for you. And I was like, okay, I need to know the day in the life. Come on. There was like literally a whole chapter that was very thorough. And it was awesome. I loved it. It was probably my favorite part oh, of the yay. book, actually. And that was where a lot of the questions of like, why all these um, tasks are so unexpected? Like, what the heck? Um, But my follow up question to that is what is more like a day in the week or a day in the month on average? Like, do you spend days on, days off, on call? Like, what is more like a month in the life of a relatively successful CFA? If you have a definite schedule like we had... Uh, the new flight attendant, Sam, come on and she says she has something like 14 days on, 13 days off where they have that set schedule. That's what it looks like. And you have to realize that you're kind of living a double life and that you have to compartmentalize. 
And it is very, very tough for anyone who wants to get into the business. And I am not deterring anyone. But if you have young children, it is very tough. Even if you have teenagers, it's very tough. Let's just say children. If you have children, it's very tough. Now, as they get older and they're not into hanging out with their parents as much or, you know, 16, 17, that may be fine. But um, it's it's tough with kids in this industry. So you have that. You could be at the owner's whim where drop of the hat, you fly. You could be flying anywhere from 28 days a month to 30 days a month to two days a month. I have seen accounts where they have dead months where it's three, four months of no flying. And then the next eight months are a lot of flying to a medium amount of flying. So to me, a normal... I don't know if normal is the right word, but a good number to shoot for is to fly 14 days a month. That was a little too much for me, but I think that's pretty normal for the industry. Once you get over that, to me, that's a lot of flying a month. I think more reasonable is 10 to 12 days a month of flying. It depends a little low, but let's just say 12 days a month of flying that to me. And, you know, my husband's in the business and he's had to explain to people um, in his company that aren't in aviation that you guys get to go home at night. We're Mm -hmm. constantly on the road and we're working 24 hours a day when you're constantly on the road and everything. So that's what people don't realize. So it just depends. If you're a contractor, you could be working one day a month. You could be working 30 days a month, depending on what you take. If you're a full-time lead, again, I would say if you have a situation where you're flying 12 to 14 days a month, you're you're pretty good. So is full-time five days a week? So five days a week would be 20 days a month. That's a little much. To me, I would say in the industry nowadays, full-time would be more 14 to 16 days a month. So we look at it more, I guess, as a month. You're saying a week, which makes sense to me. And you do occasionally hear of these accounts, if you're casino flying or something, where you fly Monday through Friday, and then you have off you know, half of Friday through all of Sunday, and you're back at work on Monday morning. You have these accounts, too, where let's say... What is Sarah? And this is paranormal, and I can't remember what it's called. But you have you have a part of either it's the FBI it has to be the FBI where where they're doing secret projects, and they will fly you from one city to the base that no one's supposed to know about, and they do it on private planes. So if you're involved in that, then you are flying a very set schedule Monday through Friday. 9 and 5 p.m., you know, that kind of thing. So it just depends. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to be a paranormal <laughs> CFA. I want to be flown to all the private government's facilities. Just kidding. Don't that would be that. cool. Speaking of that, <laughs> um, is this really a good option for someone who has the goal of traveling? Like, if say, I want to travel for my career. I'm going to become a CFA. Because what I'm really curious about is how much actual like tourist opportunity is there in this career, like on average, would you say? I would say that if you play your cards right, and if you get a good reputation, you can actually get a lot of travel opportunity. 
And it depends on the account, you know, it depends on what accounts you choose. And if your accounts go to good places, then you're good and you're going to learn to pick those accounts. So there was a guy I would fly with. He was awesome. He was so nice. And he was a big biker. So he would take him and his biking friends. By the way, I had never heard of this. I guess it's a rich people thing. And Sarah, maybe you know this, but I've never heard of this until this whole trip. You think I'm a rich person? No, but you may have heard, being in <laughs> hospitality, you may have heard of this. Oh, sure. But okay. The, <laughs> but the, um, when these rich people go on biking tours, they bring mechanics, like they bring bike mechanics. Like we're talking like pedal bikes, right? Yeah. yeah. We're talking like bikes. You, Interesting. You, yeah. And I had, I had never known that because like, who's this guy? Because he's, he's kind of friendly, but he's not, I mean, he's kind of friendly with the passengers, but he's a little, not standoffish, but just, you know, being a little by himself or he's the one back there doing everything with the bikes. I'm like, why him? And they explained it to me. No, no, no. They always bring a mechanic, which is really smart. If you're going on the, I mean, yeah. which is really smart. So there's a point to this. Oh, okay. So this guy would bike all over the world. And when he was doing these long biking weekends or five days or whatever, guess what? We were on the ground enjoying. And I remember one place he did it was... Voss, Norway, where the water comes oh, from. Fun. Yeah. And so we had, and I think he went, he biked in Bergen. I've been to Bergen for some reason. I've been to Norway a lot, but um, we went to Bergen. He biked there. And then we went to Voss, Norway, and which is beautiful. Both are beautiful. And they, and we, and they bike there. So he, and then I was a contractor and the lead, I think the next trip was Patagonia. And then the next trip was, you know, you see what I'm saying? So he did the business flying. So probably what happened on that account was he did the business flying, I'm sure, which was the not fun. We go for an afternoon to Michigan or whatever, and you have a meeting. But then that was sprinkled in with all the good stuff. Or then you get, there was a guy used to fly who... (laughs) We had a nickname for him, and uh, we called him the Wee Randy. No, we called him the <laughs> we called him the Weasel. And um, oh, yeah, billionaire, not one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he was just someone who would totally throw you under the bus. You could tell he was one of these people that would. That's why we didn't like him. So anyway, he would do a lot of business flying, but then. I would say three times a year, he would do a great trip, not a good trip, like a great trip. He would go for three weeks to Africa. He would go for three weeks to Australia with his family, blah, blah, blah. So then you have that type of thing. So I think there is, you just have to, you know, kind of navigate the accounts and see. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I wish I would have found this when I was like 20. I totally would have gone for it. You would have been amazing. Absolutely. You'd have been amazing. You'd have been super successful. Well, that was about the time where I discovered hospitality the first time and realized how much I loved it. Um, but I didn't realize like this whole world existed. And I, it makes me wonder if I personally would have found your book 10 years ago, how different my life would have been. <laughs> so if you're listening to this now and you're even thinking about it, you just, you never know. Go for it. Just, yeah, go for it. Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons why it probably never came to my path though, is because I, I uh, have a hard time flying because flying is very scary to me. Ah. <laughs> it's very... It's intimidating for me, um, but you obviously are very confident. You're very comfortable. So have you ever really felt that fear of flying or that fear of planes or anything like that? No. Travel anxiety? No. 
I have had decompressurization, decompression, decompression. I just, I don't know what I just said. I've had decompression (laughs) on a plane where the oxygen mask came down and the Mm -hmm. um, air from the outside cabin was coming in and the whole thing. And that didn't even scare me. Uh, And I'm not saying that like, I'm so confident and I'm so, I just, that's one fear I don't have. It's just, I don't have it. I've had it where the pilots will sometimes with the planes, if the passengers aren't in it, we have a deadhead, meaning it's just the crew. Like they'll do kind of aerobatics with the plane and um, not super aerobatics. I shouldn't say super aerobatics. Anxiety. (laughs) I should say they don't put the plane upside down or anything like that, but they kind of go "Eh," and they tilt it and stuff. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't bother me. No, I I really don't. We had a windshield crack, didn't bother me. I don't know. That's one fear I I don't have. So yeah, just can't relate to it. No, I I can understand when people have that fear. I mean, I guess you're right. I can't relate to it. I can definitely sympathize when people have that fear. And a lot of passengers do. Even the people who own the small planes do. And I have, I've met people who uh, won't go on a small jet and they're rich. You know, they're like, hell no. Do you feel like, do you feel like, Maybe this is kind of a too big of a question, and I didn't send this one to no, you. So it's kind cool. of off the cuff I love here. it. Um, do you feel like it's? Do you feel safer on a private jet, the smaller ones, versus a commercial airline plane? Probably because I know the pilots. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's such a huge one, though. Yeah, I, I probably. I mean, you know, most pilots are great. Most pilots know what they're doing. There are some funny things with pilots, but when push comes to shove and it comes to safety and it comes to navigating situations. They're really good. And with, for example, some of the private jet pilots, they've been fighter pilots. Some of them have fought in Vietnam. They've fought in, you know, places like Afghanistan. I worked with someone who I believe was from Romania, was a Romanian fighter jet pilot. So these people, this is probably nothing to them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they've been in war it's military. easy it's fun so for them. i feel comfortable putting my life in their hands in that way i guess you could say uh has there been a situation it's a good question is has there been a situation where i didn't feel comfortable with a pilot in that way in the way of just specifically safety i haven't wow mm-hmm. do you often have to deal with cabin guests who are scared yeah. Yeah. Not how do you help them? Yeah. Not all the time. Um, alcohol really helps. Just kind of <laughs> <laughs> damn straight it does. <laughs> That's hilarious. Alcohol. Uh, these people take what's all the calming stuff you can take? Zoloft, Xanax, weed, weed I don't know. All that kind of yeah. stuff. That um, edibles, all that kind of stuff really helps. So they're big into that. I can't serve it to them. I can serve them the alcohol. I'm not going to. You know, make a, You're not going to bring out a like gummy on a little pretty gourmet white plate. Uh, no, unfortunately, I can't. But <laughs> unfortunately, that's against rules. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. You never. You never know. Um, I do. What about animals on the plane? Can I just talk about? Scared? I'm I'm going to talk about the animals, but I just want to yeah. uh, just add something because you raised a really good, very valid For point, sure. and then I'm going to remind me of the animals. I should write it down animals. I will. But um. <laughs> With regard to the marijuana, people have to know going into this industry, you still cannot have any sort of marijuana products. You cannot have THC. You cannot test positive for CBD. Um, Pilots 
are not allowed at all. Let's say if they're in a situation where they've flown into a certain place and they're being, you know, they're at a restaurant and they feel like they're being hot boxed where people are smoking all around them, where it's legal, they would have to leave. So I don't see this changing in the industry. So if you are wake and bake, if you, if you love the CBD, I'm going to tell you that you will be flagged on a drug test and you can't fly. That is as a, a really passenger, good you can um, fly. I'm sorry, as a passenger, you can fly, but as yes. a as crew, you cannot. That makes absolute sense. Um, yeah, because that it's federally, you know, still a problem and not allowed on any sort of plane. So that makes absolute sense, and it does. You know, it's a narcotic, it, not a narcotic. It's it's it changes right. the way your brain right. works. So yeah, of course it makes sense. It's literally no different than any other job. I worked in a warehouse around forklifts, and I, we got drug tested. So. <laughs> And the jet is way bigger than those forklifts. So when you're around heavy machinery, yeah. you obviously do want to be sober. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's a, that was a great point. I'm really glad you said that because plenty of people, especially if you're younger out there and you're in a place where it is legal recreationally, you might not even think twice Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. That's why I wanted to point it out. You the animals. Out. Yeah. Animals. Yeah. So how often do the those billionaires bring on their little doggos and their iguanas and whatever else? Parrots. <laughs> Giraffes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all the time. I find that the dogs are pretty good. I find that the animals are pretty good. Um, they seem pretty used to it. I don't see a lot of, sure. I personally don't see a lot of being scared, but there are a lot of times now, here's the deal. The animals are supposed to be secure in some type of compartment. So you bring, mm-hmm. they have these new bags that you can bring to put animals in. Um, you have cages, obviously, well, guess what? If the owner's not into it, then the dog just, you know, stays there. So I've seen a lot of people just be really responsible with their animals and the animal just sits in their lap if it's little or sits besides, beside them. Sometimes I've seen them go into a cage on uh, landing and takeoff, um, takeoff and sure. landing. But for the most part, I haven't seen anything too crazy with an animal. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Because I have to assume that they bring their pets with them, especially if it's domestic and they're going to be gone All for a time. while. And obviously, wouldn't you not bring your dog everywhere with you if you couldn't? Both of them? <laughs> yeah, but just don't do the Johnny Depp thing where you try to sneak your small dogs on a private jet into Australia. Don't do that. You didn't hear about that? <gasps> yeah, no. Yeah, that was a no. while ago. I mean, this was probably 10 years now, maybe more, where he, wow. he snuck uh, two of his private, two of his private, two of his small dogs. I think there were two. You have to declare everything in Australia. I was going to move to Australia, so I know this, with one of my dogs. Now I have three dogs, but the one dog I was going to move with, it's a huge process to go through quarantine for Australia, and he just brought them in, and they were furious when they found out, and we're going to destroy the dogs. So Johnny Depp had to get his ass back on a private plane with his wife at the time, Amber Heard, and they had to take the dogs out of australia oh my god and rightfully so it's just better not to break those rules rightfully yeah. so because australia is known as an incredible ecosystem that they want to keep pure and for those of you who have never been what they do is if they find let's say something you come in on a flight and they find that something is going to be impure to the ecosystem they will have people take off their shoes they will rem- remove every stone from every shoe like that type of thing so I get it. It is important, though. That subtropical environment is important. So what is your biggest CFA pet peeve since we're talking about pets? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. My personal CFA pet peeve is don't act like a diva. I'm so tired of hearing these stories where 
people think that they are just getting a ticket to this glamour, glamorous life, your crew, your crew. And you're yeah, you're there to help. And, and you're not on the passenger's level. I've heard so many times where FAs have been fired because they try to talk with the passengers and sit back with them and ask how their business meetings went. Oh, yeah, you'd be surprised. Or they act like a diva and they refuse to do anything. They, they won't help the pilots with anything. They won't help lift anything. They won't lift their own suitcase. They won't. So I can't stand the diva at, attitude. You just have to go in. You have to say, I'm a team player. This is what I'm going to do. This is my job. And I say it in the book and it's not pleasant, but you're a servant. And I know that's not popular to say today, but that's just the truth of it. You are a servant. You are, they have so many people that work for them. They have, they have a house manager, they have a butler, they have at least sometimes a chef, five assistants, the gardener, the housekeeper, the nannies, Mm -hmm. you're one of 15 people, if not more. So don't think of yourself as special. Sometimes you get these women coming in because they're pretty or they think they're pretty, they're going to be, you know, going to bag the rich husband. Right. And the world owes them Mm -hmm. a favor. You know, that type of thing, going in with that attitude is never good. So yeah, the diva thing, not my thing. Yeah, that makes total sense. Especially in that industry when you're so close to the super rich. I I truly can't imagine that people probably see this as like they're in Mm -hmm. especially the the pretty ones like not to not to doubt on people or i want to give everyone the benefit benefit of the doubt but you just know that there are going to be people who have an agenda and their agenda is not to build a career and do good work absolutely they're they're going for something else and usually when you hear about these things happening it doesn't end well usually but it does kind of sound like the start of a romantic comedy, though. Maybe you should write that. Like you hire a corporate fight attendant with a super rich dude who's super humble and hot. Maybe that's the the book that I'm working on now. I don't know. Maybe that's a book I'm, I'm submitting it. to uh, agents and editors. I just did. <gasps> that's exciting. Yeah, I'm going to have you pull back on to talk about that book. Yes. <laughs> I love romance novels. It's my favorite. So what would you say to someone who was thinking about taking off in this career? She loves the puns. She loves the puns. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say just go in with the right idea. Make sure you know the job really, really well and that you understand it. And you can do that by reading my book and listening to the podcast. Yeah, but it's make just make sure you have a full scope because even forget all the diva stuff. If you have children, this is not going to be easy for you. No, no, no. Hold on. Mm -hmm. Let me let me fix that one. If you like your children and want to spend time with your children, this is not going to be easy for you. If you're like, fuck my kids, this is going to be really easy (laughs) for you. (laughs) They're out there. They're out there. That's why I'm not a mom. I think I would have been probably option B. So um, yeah, but it's it is tough with children. So you have to take all of that into consideration. You have to take consideration that your life at at many points, even if you're a contractor, is almost not your own. You have to be okay with something I didn't talk about is fatigue. Fatigue is terrible. 
you touched about that. Yeah, I talked about it in the book. Yeah. But fatigue is terrible. So you have to take all of this into account before you decide to, as you say, take off. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things to consider. And it sounds like this entire episode is like the perfect starting point. I feel like, like I wanted to ask about like, what do people not expect? What's the schedule like? Because a lot of people might not realize what it means or they might, might make the decision too quick. And, you know, they end up dropping 5k on their training and all of a sudden they realize that this really isn't for me. So I think that was a lot of good advice for sure. So let's talk about something else that you talked about in this book and this, I'm just going to flat out say it. And if you're not into it, you can be done. But how did you manifest Ah. your success as a CFA? Well, this is a really poignant question because this is going to lead to Sarah Ray and what her expertise is and why I have you on, not only because I know you're a good interviewer, you love reading, you love books, you're a successful podcaster, but also this part as well. So I will tease it a little bit. I want you guys to, you know, read the book and all of that. Of course. But basically, I had a mantra I would do every morning. And I was living in this small basement apartment. Actually, it wasn't small. It was a it was a big basement apartment. I take that back. I was living in this big, shitty basement apartment. <laughs> and but it had a really nice backyard. And I went out there and uh, put my feet on the earth and did this mantra every morning. And I was able to manifest this job and I was able to do it uh, being a CFA and I was able to do it actually very quickly because I put myself in that energy. And also in the book, I'd like to mention besides manifestation is I talk about energy clearing practices that you can do if you have a bad passenger, if you just have a really bad flight, Mm. if you're having a bad day, how you can clear that energy. So I want to point that out as well. So that's a part of the book of how, you know, you can manifest this career. And once you do how you can have a good experience in this career. So now I want to actually talk about you, Sarah Ray. And could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how if my listeners are interested in manifesting their perfect CFA career, how you can help them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate that. So yes, I am a manifesting coach and I help women manifest on purpose. We bust through your manifesting blocks and break through your manifesting ceiling so you can transform your life and live your dream life. And if what we talked about today is resonating with you, if you want to live that beautiful, awesome dream life of, you know, surprise three week trips to Australia and all this awesome opportunity. It is possible. You just, the very first thing is you have to believe that it's possible. And Jennifer here is the proof that it is possible because you did live your dream CFA life. Right. Um, and you, you maybe not, we didn't know each other back then, nope. but I know you followed a lot of the same processes that I teach now. And you have been my manifesting client. Yes, I have. Awesome. So, <laughs> so basically what I do with the help people manifest is we go through my unique four phase manifesting roadmap. And I'll just real quick, throw them out there to give you a little bit of a teaser. It is mindset shifting, intuitive planning, purposeful action and letting go. So that's my methodology. That's how we manifest. I'm sure that's how you unconsciously manifested your success as a CFA. All those things. You t- mentioned mantra, which is mindset shifting and intuitive planning, which, you know, you did the training, you had all the connections that you needed. You were taking action. You were actually doing all these things. And you talked about this in the book, but you had radical trust too. You just knew it was going to work out. 
So that's what I teach. And that's why I love talking to you because you go through all those things. And I appreciate the opportunity for you to that you gave me here to talk about this. And if you are interested in manifesting, you can go to my podcast, Spiritually Inspired, and we talk about manifesting all day long, <laughs> especially career. I think that's a big one that's been coming up the last couple of years since the great resignation really started money. Yeah. So people want to manifest their dream careers. And I fully believe it's possible for everybody, no matter what it looks like for you. If you're listening to this, it's probably in the aviation world. Maybe it's specifically catering to the super rich or maybe just hospitality in general, whatever it is believe that it's possible and then call me (laughs) and we'll make it happen. Yeah. So I have to say I was a client of Sarah Ray's and I manifested so much in such a short amount of time. And I'm saying a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of amazing opportunities. And what I'm going to do, Sarah Ray, is I'm going to link to that episode with us. So that's on my podcast, Two Inches Off the Ground, my other podcast, and I will link to that. So if anyone wants to listen to that and hear more from Sarah Ray, uh, because she's awesome, definitely. And that four-step manifestation is amazing. And then you also, I just want to add that you also use crystals and Reiki and... Yes, I sure do. So the other half of my coaching process is using crystal Reiki. If you're familiar with Reiki, it's basically just a healing energy modality and crystals are also a healing energy modality. These get brought together to facilitate your own bodily healing to get you closer to the universe to clear out those energy blocks similar to what you mentioned. Um, Grounding as well as a CFA can imagine like it's vital that you practice grounding practices. So all of this and more can happen with crystal Reiki, which is why I incorporate it into all of my session. Also, I will throw out there tarot as well is just another way to communicate with spirits. So it's all about making clearing the path way for you both energetically and physically in front of you so you can manifest your dream life. So what I'm going to do is if you're listening, I'm going to put this all in the show notes. So you have all of Sarah's information. If you are watching on YouTube, if I'm smart enough and technological enough to get this on YouTube, hi, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> then it will be in the captions and the notes and you can see all that. So I am going to let Sarah Ray um, close out this episode. We usually close out by saying happy flying, but whatever you want to say. Happy flying. <laughs> If you marry a rich husband, call me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, definitely, you know, buy the book. Yes. It's really something that I'm proud of. It's something that supports this podcast. And it's just, I think you guys, it's better to spend $14.99 than spend thousands. And you guys, the, the price, you'll see it in the book, has now moved up thousands on training. Just spend that 15 bucks. If it's for you, you keep exploring. If not, you call it a day. You call it a right. day. Spend a little bit of time listening to this podcast. Decide if it's for you. I swear to God, if I had found this when I was 20, I would have done this for sure. Um, there's a lot of cool opportunity. And if it's calling to you, there's absolutely no reason to not at least dabble, at least see what is waiting for you. So just do it. Awesome. So, all right. Happy flying. Thank you, Sarah Ray. And uh, this was awesome. Take care, guys. Happy flying. Thank you.